It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I'm an ordinary guy burning down the house. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Joe. Do you remember the very first episode of Forward Thinking, the videos? I'll never forget. <laughs> that was a long day of filming. Yeah, we yeah. shoot like six videos. No, that day. no, we only did three that day. We uh-huh. wanted to do five. Uh, so before we get into this topic, just so in case you're curious about what this experience was like, I had shot plenty of videos in the past, but never one with a full crew. And we had a full crew that first day. Uh-huh. So we had sound people, camera person, we had wardrobe and makeup, we had uh, lighting, and we had um, producers who were there for the first time to, to uh, like the executive producer types who were actually there to, to watch this happen. There was a lot of pressure on sure. me. Uh, no teleprompter. I never use a teleprompter for any of the forward thinking videos. Uh, might explain a few of them to you because I get a little <laughs> wacky and a little off script. So 
Uh, Internet of Things was one of the three videos we shot that day. I remember 3D printing was one of the other, but I don't remember what the third one was. Uh, uh, oh, oh, it was a, it was a car one, I think. Um, self-driving cars. Self-driving cars. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah. would make sense. Yeah, because okay, we sure. actually had a a a car in the studio that we used. It was not an actual self-driving car, but we treated it as such. Uh, so anyway, Internet of Things has a long, long, long history with the forward-thinking show. And, of course, we talked about it on the podcast, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time. It, yeah. it comes up a lot. Smart devices all around you. We've talked about smart devices in your kitchen, smart devices in your in your in, roads, in your body, yeah, uh-huh. all yeah. over the place. Right, and the whole idea of just having sensors that are collecting data and devices that can use that data to change your environment in some way. This is not something that you know is a new topic, obviously, but we wanted to talk about a specific implementation of this, where you incorporate directly into architecture. And this is an area of research that IBM is conducting. They call it cognitive buildings. Yeah. So I would say this relates to the Internet of Things in that it's sort of like the Internet of Things but a top-down integrated approach to it. Right, right. Yeah, this is an idea of we have the capability of incorporating all these different types of sensors and systems uh, into a building piecemeal. But what if we were to do it from the design of a building and incorporate it uh, directly, integrate everything. So it's interoperable. Mm-hmm. And this is a big idea that could potentially have uh, some some interesting benefits down the road. So it's something I wanted to explore a bit more. Um, it's a pretty, pretty simple idea that I think a lot of people can grasp early on, right? Like the idea of a building that has all of these things integrated in it and then essentially has like a, a – a pretty hefty processor to take in all that data, crunch it, and then uh, respond in whatever way is most appropriate. Right. Right. And the the process that IBM is is using for this kind of concept is cognitive computing. Yes, which involves lots of different topics we've talked about before: uh, artificial intelligence, pattern recognition, uh, natural language processing, data mining, machine learning. All of that is part of cognitive computing. Generally speaking. Cognitive computing is trying to use computers to simulate the way we think, not necessarily in a, a like uh, granular way where a processor is behaving the way a brain is, but so that the output is similar to what you would have if you asked a very smart person to do the same sort of stuff. Right. Sure, it's a problem-solving kind of technique, and it's using some of the data processing that we've talked about in our episodes about deep learning. Yes, yes. So if you can imagine... The same sort of stuff that produces incredibly trippy paintings could be running your home in the future. Yeah. Driving you mad over a series of Ooh. entertaining days. I just realized that we, we may be able to uh, put together in the future a, tuto- a tutorial on how to overclock your house. It, that's actually it's not too far off from from the possible reality. Right. Uh-huh. So uh, ideally what this would result in is a system that would learn about you as you move through it. So whether it's your office that you work in or the home that you live in, if it's a cognitive building, it actually learns about you, your preferences, your needs, and is able to respond to that in a way that is seamless so that you don't have to even think about it. You don't even necessarily have to voice a command 
if it's learned enough. This is not that far off from some systems we have now. Like the Nest thermostat is an example that's easy to point to because it's been around for a few years. Right. So Nest thermostat can detect when you are home using motion sensors. Uh, it can have some pre-programmed temperatures that you could tell it like, well, at night I like it to be around this cool. During the day, you can turn the temperature up a certain amount. It might even have, have other parameters saying, well, while the person's gone, we can even crank that up a little bit more so that we're saving energy. You know, the AC is not blowing when no one's home. And we also know that typically the person gets home at around this time so we can turn the AC back down uh, an hour before they get home so that way the house is nice and cool by the time you walk through the front door. That's a pretty easy example, and it's one tiny system. But in a cognitive building, it would be one part of an overall integrated system. And it would just be one element of that. Imagine a building able to measure pretty much everything you're able to do inside that building and respond in a way that helps you save energy so you're not wasting it and also makes the experience pleasant and comfortable for you. That's kind of the basic concept. But it's way harder than what it sounds. Uh, Yeah, yeah. We're not really quite there yet to the point where – in most buildings, we are prepared to do that. Like, like right now, if you, if you want to integrate all of these different Internet of Things type systems, your, uh, your smart lights and your, and your nest and your eye toaster, uh, you're gonna need to get a third party thing that's gonna connect up with all of them. Right, because otherwise what you're talking about is having a phone with 80,000 apps on it. Right. You're like, I need to turn off my lights. Okay, let me just scroll through. All right, it's in this folder. Okay, let me scroll down through here. Oh, there's my light <laughs> folder. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. If you if you go through a single service provider or product manufacturer that makes lots of different stuff in that space, then maybe you could get away with two or three systems all using an integrated app. But I don't think anyone makes all the different types of home automation systems that you can run into. So if you really wanted like the automated home of the future – the downside is you're going to have all these different interfaces that you have to work with in order to make that happen. Uh, the alternative, as Lauren said, is to get a third-party object that is able to be kind of like a liaison between you and each of your disparate systems. One app to rule them all. Yeah, so <laughs> Amazon's Echo is a great example. That has uh, Alexa, the, the voice-activated digital uh, personal assistant, and Alexa can work with lots of different systems, right? It can work with Nest. It can work with certain, like, I think Philips Hue light bulbs. So with Alexa, you could tell Alexa what you want, and then Alexa would communicate with the appropriate system on whatever terms is, are necessary for it to get this done, and it would happen. This is an inelegant way of going about this because you still have to have that intermediary that is essentially translating your commands so that whatever you want to have happen, happens. It would be, it would be nicer to have a fully integrated system that does this all automatically because it fully understands you, not just what temperature you like, but what light level you like and what music you like and, uh, you know, even things like what you prefer to eat because this could be incorporated all into the appliances of your house, not just the lighting and the, the climate system. And all of these integrations can ultimately result in energy conservation, which is, I think, I would argue is the biggest point of concern for sure. the IBM research team. Uh, 
so designing this building, not the easiest thing in the world to do. You have to have all these different sensors to detect all sorts of stuff, you know, temperature, lighting, electricity, water flow, perhaps. Uh, it's a big job. And in fact, uh, the IBM Research Center that they have, they've got a lab with more than 3,000 sensors integrated into it. Whew. Yeah, well, it's how a lot. big is the lab? It's about a four foot by five foot cubicle. No, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I don't know how big the lab is. But it's not, it's not, as far as I know, it's in Dublin, Ireland. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not a, as large as like a full building, as far as I'm aware. Right. Um, but still, I mean, and if you think about that, if you think, well, if it's not as large as a full building, then a full building would need probably even more sensors oh, sure. to get comprehensive data. Uh, right. But I mean, think think about how many different factors you're you're trying to integrate here, and and this is in every single room in the entire building. So you know, you're you're, you're looking to uh, detect motion, perhaps mm-hmm. have facial recognition, mm-hmm. uh, detect light levels, like natural light levels, de- yeah. detect uh, temperature. Um, yeah, detect yeah. Uh, water use, detect everything that's going on in all of the pipes, just detect what the sewage pipes are doing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of sensors for every single room, and and you think about that, you you ultimately have all of that data sent to a central processing unit, a a, a computer of some sophistication to make sense of what that information means. It may mean that certain choices in order to conserve energy could at first appear counterintuitive because it may be that it's taking into consideration uh, a lot of factors that you as a human being inside that building aren't necessarily aware of at the time. So it's uh, like in a closed room, the amount of sunlight that the roof is getting somewhere near you could definitely affect the temperature that you're experiencing. Yeah, that's a that's a simple example. And there are so many out there, everything like if if the room happens to have a whole bunch of pipes that uh, water flows through, that might affect things as well. It's uh, it's really complicated stuff, and so that's why you need like the really powerful processing uh, ability on the other end to make sense of that and turn it into actionable uh, items that the house can can then go through. Uh, so, like I said, saving energy that's like the primary purpose for this project. And uh, a cognitive building could keep track of all the rooms that are in use, which ones aren't. Essentially, it, it's like the very complicated way of telling people, hey, turn off the light when you leave the room. Mm-hmm. Except now the building's doing it for you. Mm-hmm. And also maybe adjusting the, the air conditioning for that room. If, it, if there's like uh, different air conditioners for different floors or different, even different sections of a building, it could manage it on a very granular, granular level. Uh, and it's, uh, it's pretty – Intense to do all this. It's, it's an intense processing and intense data gathering system. It's really taking that big data approach on a building by building or collection of building uh, kind of scale, which is also crazy because IBM Research is looking not just at making one cognitive building, but making groups of them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Not not just like personal homes. Like it's kind of easy to think about this on a single home kind of level. But, but of course, they're trying to expand that out. Yeah. Yeah. So – uh, let's say that, uh, what, where can you, where can you go besides energy conservation? I mean, that's obviously a very important element, but what else could you do with this? One thing that IBM is proposing is a system that could detect problems before they become so great that you have to have like an emergency response to it. Yeah. So let's say that, uh, your smart sensors, detect that your air conditioner is working harder than it normally has to in order to maintain the temperature. Right. 
It may so mean that you need to change your air filter. Right. It may be something as simple as that, or it may be that uh, oh, we're detecting a decrease in pressure in the tubes, and your your freon or, or uh, other your coolant is is leaking somewhere. Mm-hmm. It can then send you an alert. You get alert alert on your phone saying, "Hey, uh, by the way, I've detected this drop in efficiency. Um, the the diagnosis I have is such and such." If it's something like switching out a filter, you could probably do it yourself. If it's something a little more complicated, it might say that you might need to call someone and may even bring you give you suggestions on who to call depending upon the the way you've designed this building same thing could be true with plumbing it could say well i detected that there the the waste pipes aren't flowing as properly as they should it may very well be that the vent that allows air to pass through the the waste pipes has been clogged with something so you need to just uh, run some water down the vent to clear it out and then you don't have to bring a plumber in to do an expensive job when you can just do it yourself. This is something that I actually had to go through myself recently. I had to. Uh, I didn't have a computer tell me. It was just one of those things where I thought, this drain's backing up. I sure hope the vent is clogged because that's an easy solution. Huh. Turned out it was. Yeah. But it would be great to have a system that tells me that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, it's something that's, that's telling you where you've got a, uh, a leak in a pipe or mm-hmm. a, a leak in electricity flow. Or sure. A, uh, you know, if, if, if you're, pi- if you're in an area where your pipes might freeze during the winter, um, something that can automatically regulate the temperature in problematic sections of the house. To not let your pipes freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or an automated tap of some sort that can just let enough water flow to prevent it from freezing uh, up. Right. Right. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is that it is. Yeah. That 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 would be great because again, it saves you money in the long run. It it uh, ends up uh, also preventing further damage being done to elements of the home or the building. Uh, it'd be a huge benefit. Oh, sure. And speaking of money, hey, uh, in, in multi-home buildings like condos or apartments or whatever, you could track who's using the most resources and adjust the rent. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So you'd have to pay for the number of times you flush the toilet, and your landlord knows. Yep. I mean, I mean, a, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of apartments and condos that I know of have their, you know, have a have a collected waste removal kind of kind yeah. of fee. You know, I think it's only fair. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to get into Brazil territory, and here's my receipt for your receipt. Uh, yeah, and beyond this, like a I lot said, of this does actually remind me strangely of Brazil. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, they're really yeah. yeah. Will this cognitive building have ducts? Will there be lots of ducts? How many yes. ducts? Yes, yeah. not ducks. It will require ducks. require duct repair people. Duct. Not Psyducks. No. Not Psyducks. Not that I'm personally aware of. I've already been yelled at for talking about Pokemon Go too much. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't have to just be a building. It can be a collection of buildings. The example that they gave was imagine a college campus that could actually track the movement of students, not just within individual buildings, but across different buildings. And then it starts getting into a really complicated kind of approach where if if you're designing it in such such a way so that uh, it's as a seamless an experience for the people in there, but also one that conserves the most energy possible, and it's as busy as like a college campus, that gets pretty tough to do too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really impressed when I was reading about this, and I was curious like how could they even process this information? And then I found out that. The back end, the brains behind this is essentially IBM Watson. I'm like, oh, that would do it. <laughs> yep. I, I don't happen to have access to one of those, but I can understand how that would help. 
but it's not just not just convenience or energy conservation in these cases that could be helped out too. Oh yeah, uh, stuff like like response to uh, to security or emergency situations could be streamlined because mm-hmm. of the way that everything is connected and the way that it knows who's coming and going, which gets back into weird Brazil territory. Yeah, but, there's yeah. Some, some privacy issues, obviously. Uh, sure. Uh, but but beyond that, even, uh, you know, like they, they would never run out of your favorite soda in the vending machine or out of toilet paper in a bathroom. Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> there's nothing like just taking that casual glance over and then thinking, like, oh. I have committed to an action that I regret now. Oh, dear. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for taking us there with you. Hey, you know, I was uh, speaking in a circumspect kind of way. Uh I was trying to be as gentlemanly about it as possible. Hey, how about another example of a cognitive (laughs) building that they actually talked about? The IBM team has talked about hospitals. Yeah, Yeah. and this is a – a really kind of inspiring one. So not just energy conservation here either, but also trying to improve the health and safety of the staff and patients in a hospital. One of the biggest challenges facing hospitals is managing infection and contagion. I mean, you, you hear people say this all the time, like, I don't want to go to the hospital. Sick people are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. And, and we talked a little bit about this in our episode about antibiotics. Yes. So, uh, well, yeah, hospital-acquired infections are a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, so it's it's you know it's a it's a dangerous environment to be in, even when people are very carefully following protocols. So a smart building version of a hospital might be able to help in that way by uh, improving the airflow and even uh, controlling air pressure in individual rooms to help maintain uh, uh, some safety between different patients to contain areas that might have uh, contagious uh, pathogens in them or uh, some other form of, of infectious material so that you minimize the risk of this spreading to either staff or other patients. Uh, also, just knowing which rooms are occupied and which ones aren't. I mean, you can save energy that way, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing that occurred to me when I was thinking about the example of the hospital mm-hmm is what if your buildings, in a sense, could actually do science Mm -hmm. for you, like doing data analysis? And by that, I mean taking the kind of data that buildings like this would naturally be collecting and then pairing that with some other kind of data and cross-referencing to see if any correlations emerge. Uh, So in a hospital environment, uh, for example, that might mean you're pairing this integrated environmental data like, you know, room temperature and where the lights are on, all that junk. Uh, you know, the, the, the hundreds of variables the building's collecting just about the environment and what appliances are being used. And then you pair that with linked data about health outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, we might not find anything interesting. It probably wouldn't surprise us if environmental data about the building had no real correlation with health outcomes. But what if in some cases it did in ways that we wouldn't have even thought to look for uh, yeah. if we had to do all these analyses ourselves? Sure. Like uh, what if patients in rooms with lower air conditioning temperatures had fewer complications during surgery or something like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and this could also help us suss out what's going on with a sick building syndrome, yeah, mm. uh, which is which is the phenomenon in which um, there tend to be these these just kind of breakouts of of long term low grade illness among office workers who work in certain environments. I could imagine that uh, I've worked with people who've made me feel sick before. <laughs> yeah. 
It's it's suspected that it's usually due to like air quality of some kind or another, either like surrounding pollutants or mold and mildew or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, flickering uh-huh. fluorescent light that gives you a brain cloud. But it can also be Marge. Marge. Why Marge? Another thing that you, you know, when you <laughs> talked about the the building itself gathering data, it it occurs to me that you could even incorporate the actual like you would probably want to scrub this of any personal information, but you could you could incorporate things like the actual nature of diseases of patients in actual rooms, and the building itself could become a data collection point exactly. and perhaps be an early indicator for oh, something yeah. like, hey, you need to be on the lookout for an epidemic because based on the statistics that we're seeing here and the number of patients who have come in with this similar or identical condition – there could be a source nearby that's making people sick. It could give people the information they need to actually uh, address a the source of an issue before it gets even worse. Yeah. That's kind of – I never even thought about that, but that is really cool. Yeah. Uh, also, um, what about what about factories? Um, I mean, these these are places where things are already fairly streamlined. But a cognitive factory could could monitor the wear to, again to like every piece of equipment and uh, alert staff if the if the heat levels or the sound of the moving parts or, or whatever it is um, indicates that something is about to wear out mm. and and get in there and, and replace it to to prevent a costly and time. Cons- time-consuming or, or even a hazardous breakage. Right. You know, a factory environment seems uh, susceptible to the same kind of automated scientific analysis that I was just talking about with the hospital yeah. where you could have the building just ambiently collecting all of these variables and whereas in the hospital you'd compare all that data to health outcomes, in the factory you could compare it to productivity or yep. you know other business. It turns out that Oh, what do you know? When we when we have uh, more lights on in the building, people have a ten percent more productive day. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and it could even limit downtime. I think that's kind of what Lauren was saying. It could limit downtime, which time is money for a factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just for this kind of application, uh, it could be invaluable. You know, it means that you're 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 constantly producing, yeah. or you're producing as. Much as you know your as your factories, as possible, yeah. Right? <laughs> as opposed to saying, "Well, an unanticipated breakage stopped production for four days. That's four days lost productivity." So a, a system like this could prevent that from happening and thus increase profit. And and that's true, I think, for for other businesses as well. I mean, we are all really just producers of content, are we not? <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's what I do. So so okay so so imagine an office building wherein you're an exchangeable human cog with a mobile computer and when you get to work you could just be shuffled off to anonymous workstation 17 SWD8 uh-huh. and all your coworkers are are organized to save your co- corporate overlords from having to to heat or cool half empty floors beautiful right Okay. It's yeah. a glorious vision and I welcome it. <laughs> or or at least your elevator banks could could know when people are approaching and thus minimize your wait times. That's a glorious vision and I <laughs> I, uh-huh. I, I, I highly anticipate that one. Oh, or or uh by tracking Wi-Fi connectivity throughout the building, your IT kids could maximize the placement of your tech resources so that your computer Never runs into the problem that we run into in our studios say, sometimes. This has been inspired by actual events. <laughs> yeah, I, here's the thing. Now, would would some of the data collection in the building just be microphones listening for whether people are cussing about what they can't get Wi-Fi? 
You know, it's like if you hear these combinations of words, we need to do something about the connectivity situation. Right. I'd be I'd be for that kind of uh, privacy breach, honestly, if if it would lead to better Wi-Fi. Well, we're going to talk about something kind of similar to that in just a moment, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but one more one more example: uh, uh, shopping, shopping, y'all. Uh, it, when you when you go out to a store, or if you're managing a store, you know this is another kind of business in which, in which this kind of technology could could be pretty great. You know, like okay, so like. You might be saying, but Lauren, uh, barcodes and QR codes and, and wireless scanners and integrated checkout and warehouse systems, like all of that stuff has already given stores a pretty incredible power to, uh, to harness big data. Mm-hmm. But a cognitive building could, could help the staffing and the stocking and just tracking how many people are in a store in any given time, tracking what those numbers look like over the course of a day, a week, a year, um, correlating purchases to weather trends, hunting down items that customers have infuriatingly put on a different shelf. <laughs> you know, just all, all, all of that little stuff to make, yeah, time is money. And yeah, I uh, could just imagine the, that you're, you're building, you own a shop like a, you know, like a sporting goods type thing and uh, or maybe just general goods type of thing. And the, your building says, hey, in about two hours, it's going to start raining. Put the umbrellas out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? Which, yeah. I mean, that people do that, but, you know, yeah. take advantage of that. For some reason, also, sell all the groin cups. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just a – it's like, man, every day I open up my email – Message number one. <laughs> well, as I mentioned I'm earlier. I'm sorry. You said sporting goods store. I was confused why. I was just thinking of like a place that would possibly have umbrellas to sell. Oh, okay. Like some places do and some places don't. I wouldn't say you go into a pet store and it says put out the umbrellas. Okay. <laughs> like, Fair enough. So, uh, but Those I, are the two things I guess I know that sporting goods stores have. <laughs> umbrellas and groin They cups. also have basketballs, I suppose. I probably. Yeah, they've got a lot of sports ball stuff in there. I've seen it. But um, so as we were saying. The, um, the brains of this. Yes. IBM's Watson. Yeah. And we've talked so much about Watson in other episodes. Oh, Watson could also help them with the cafeteria menu. That's ah, right. You could be like, right. you just see people walking into work every day saying, man, I dread lunch. <laughs> First, grill your lettuce. Yeah. That's for your lettuce-free burgers. First then says grill the lettuce. Grill your olive paste. Yeah, it's uh, – Watson's – Chef Watson is still – I still maintain that one day we're going to have to – Bring in food that we've we've cooked based off a of Chef Watson recipe uh-huh. and have a taste test. Uh, probably not on microphone because that's gross. We're gonna we're gonna keep saying this every time Watson comes up yeah. until it happens. And it'll, yeah. So hey, we we have that snack stuff. That's sometimes true. Now that's true. We we do a live stream where we occasionally subject employees of How Stuff Works to eating things that are unusual, sometimes delicious, sometimes not so much. Sometimes painful. We've got a hot pepper one coming up pretty soon, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Oh, I wasn't invited for this, the hot pepper one? You're totally invited if you want oh, to come yeah, along. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, because oh. there, there was an email chain. We were talking about ghost peppers, and then I said, well, I had a Carolina Reaper the other day, which is the hottest pepper so far. And uh, that kind of precipitated into this machismo thing mm-hmm. about hot peppers that apparently I've been pulled into. So not – I'm not protesting. Anyway, I've got off track. So, Watson. Yes, it is the brains behind this. But beyond that, they've used Watson to do some interesting analysis. They actually collected about 5 million tweets about different buildings around the world. And they were looking for people describing something in those buildings, either in a positive or a negative way. 
they aggregated all this, they analyzed the data, and they started crunching the information to find out who has the best and worst features of various things in, yeah. in various buildings around the world. Like, like what, what ideas can we steal and what should we definitely avoid right. if we're building the best type of building we possibly can? So apparently the best elevators in the world, according to people commenting about this on Twitter, and remember, these are just casual tweets. It wasn't like someone solicited, hey, who do you think has the best elevators? This was just based off people tweeting the information on their own. Uh, the best elevators, according to this analysis, would be the elevators in the Empire State Building in New York City, uh, which I was in once when I was 13 and haven't been in since. So why are they the best? This just because there were the most positive comments about these elevators huh. in all the in all the data that they crunched. Yeah, it seems like that might be affected by things like, you know, what are the elevators people are based on the site most sure, excited to absolutely. go visit? absolutely. I would argue this is not that different from something like Rotten Tomatoes where you look at the score and some people say, oh, the score is indicative to the quality of the movie. But really what the score just tells you is what percentage of critics gave it a positive review versus a negative review. It doesn't give you an indication of the overall quality of whatever that thing is. Or how much you'll enjoy it. Yeah. So at any rate... All three of us like very, very terrible movies. We do. <laughs> and not always, not always the same ones, though. Uh, so IBM's Watson says that according to Twitter, Empire State Building has the best elevators. And according to Twitter, the worst air conditioning in any major building in the world is in the Louvre. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Pretty stuffy in yeah. there and very... French. Uh, and if you need to take a bathroom break, the best place to do it is in the Sydney Opera House. I don't know if that just means that the bathrooms are the nicest, or maybe they pipe in the opera nice and Ooh. loud so you can do your business and not worry about anyone hearing what's going uh, on in there. Yeah. You've yeah. thought this through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's fine. I mean, that's, that's a great thing to know. But uh, other than the kind of like kitsch factor of all this, like what, what, well, what are we really looking at here? It, it's sort of like, uh, identifying the best practices for various features and saying, well, if people really like the way this one thing works in this one building, mm -hmm. maybe we should pay attention to that. Maybe we should try to incorporate that same style, that same design, whatever it is that makes that thing the best in its class so that we can uh, make future buildings awesome. And for all the ones that are identified with negative features, we can avoid those so that we don't make really awkward, awful buildings unless we want to do a really weird art project where everything is terrible. But if they keep going just by what people tweet the most joyfully about, every building is going to have an Ikea monkey. <laughs> well, this is, again, this is just one part. I don't see the downside. It's just <laughs> one part of the overall approach. Uh -huh. So it's one of those things where I, I saw it and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that they're not – it's not just – cold analytics and and uh, personality-free data. It's also taking into account, you know, what are people passionate about? What, what do they find comfortable or awesome or cool or interesting? What do they find uncomfortable or inefficient or aggravating? And And what are the specific elements that go into that so that when we design the buildings of the future, we can eliminate as much of the negative stuff as we possibly can, incorporate as much of the positive stuff as we possibly can, do it in a way that's as energy efficient as we possibly can make it, and make it responsive to all of our needs so that it's a fantastic place to be in all the time. And as soon as my house does all this, I will never leave it again. So it'll just 
collect data on you night and day. It already feeding is. Feeding it into the system. My, my house is on. Uploading Jonathan my, slowly. My house is buddy buddy <laughs> with the NSA. Are you kidding me? Um, the, one of the other things I didn't put it in the notes, but one of the other things I thought was interesting is they're talking about incorporating AR and VR into various buildings in a very, uh, like, uh, like into the, not literal foundation of the building, but hmm. into the building itself so that you Holodeck. Could, You're talking about a holodeck. You could have something like that. Like there, there are, um, there that are. That never went well. <laughs> Look, we only saw the episodes where the holodeck didn't work. We didn't see any of the episodes where the holodeck was perfectly fine. It's like the van is always at the corner. <laughs> you only notice it when it's at the corner. And when it's not at the corner, you don't even think about it. Um, no, really, that holodeck was a terrible idea. But now they, they, I have seen like amusement, uh, like an amusement park type thing where there is the incorporation of uh, augmented reality or virtual reality and physical objects within the environment that are mapped to the virtual environment uh-huh. so that you can pick up things that are appearing to you in the virtual environment, but because there's a physical object that's mapped to, you're actually holding a thing. Oh, my God. I just had a great idea for a home augmented reality application. It would be the Haunt My House app. That'd be pretty cool. So it's your own house, but this just puts some ghosts in it. Yeah. I was about to say, like, if you could, uh, like, I, I keep saying, imagine wearing something like Microsoft HoloLens and playing something like PT, that playable trailer that came out for the Silent Hills game that oh, never happened. right, right, yeah. Imagine walking down your own hallways and seeing nope, that nope, stuff. Nope, 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 Never nope, sleep nope, again. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I think it'd be pretty awesome. No. I'd do it. No. At once. <laughs> like, then I'd be like, honey, um, I'm never sleeping in the bedroom again. Enjoy. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be asleep in the office. See certainly, you later. Certainly, certainly not. Uh, I, I was, I was just imagining because I'm equally terrible, but in a different bent that you could, you could have like a physical clippy that could just help you tour around unknown places. Cool, yeah. I see that you're totally lost. <laughs> Would you like to be yeah, for me to direct you to the specific location? And if it's a physical object, the best part is is that you could literally throw it out a window. Yeah. I like the idea of uh being in your house and there are just Pokemon everywhere. Wait, does that not already happen? That's crazy. But that without without Pokemon having to hold Go up your works? phone. Oh. Yeah. You're just looking around and you see them and you're like, gotta catch that one. And it's like mapped to your pet. But then you have to like wrestle your pet? <laughs> My dog is fast. It would be a challenging and fun experience for the both of us. <laughs> but I don't want you to put your dog in a pokeball. He'd be fine with it. He'd love it. No, seriously, be kind to your pets. And be kind to mine, too. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Guys, if you have any questions or suggestions, comments, that sort of thing, and you want to let us know about it, here's what you can do. You can send it in email form and use the address fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Twitter. Our handle is fwthinking. Or on Facebook, you can search FW Thinking in the search bar. Our profile will pop right up. You can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 